This is what you do if you're 21 years old, you have $500 and you want to become a millionaire. Yo, I just got paid and I want to be rich. Any tips on how to spend my money? You bet I do. Want to get more motivated about your financial future? Follow these quick steps. Social media is becoming saturated with clips like this, providing instructions on how to become financially free by your mid-20s. Hashtag rich life. Hashtag wealthy. Hashtag rich girl. Hashtag, hashtag fintalk. Hashtag, hashtag self-made. Hashtag wealthy. Hashtag what the hell? Hi, I'm Helen Karakulak and you're listening to Leveraged, a series that explores finance in the digital age. I'm a 22-year-old Adelaide-based journalist and I'm finding that my understanding of finance, like many other young people, is being shaped by social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok. With the help of financial counsellor Chanel McAuliffe, we're looking into these finance trends, how they've affected real people and why, when it comes to online finance content, what you see in your feed isn't the full story. Chanel, we are back in the studio, and for this episode, we are talking about your favorite topic, Finfluencers. Yeah, Helen, this is going to be an interesting topic to unpack. Well, in 2021, the sentiment seems to have caught on that a hashtag deep dive can change your financial well-being. With these financial influencers, known as Finfluencers, on the rise, perpetuating tips and tricks that millionaires don't want me to know, I can't help but wonder, why should I trust the people sharing this with me? Here are three bank accounts you should have today. When did everyone suddenly become self-taught finance gurus, sprouting lifestyle recommendations on TikTok? So far on Leveraged, we've explored the impact of buy now, pay later providers, looked at the gamification of investing, and the underlying debate about where regulation fits into these evolving online spaces. We are a generation in debt. You do not invest because others are doing so. Conflicting values on regulation are plaguing the digital finance world. Following on from last time, we're going to stay on the investing train for a hot minute and talk about the role that social media can play in it, before exploring the Finfluencer space further and how it impacts young people's well-being. Our friend Jordan was one of many that got into investing since the pandemic hit, and his interest in it came from seeing so much about it online. I get like lots of these weird 19-year-old entrepreneurs and stuff on TikTok. Like, who are you? Like, a bit of school or something. But yeah, I think um, seeing a lot of that content does pressure you. Finfluencers are perhaps making it more accessible, but whether they're doing that in the right way is another question. Yeah, definitely. But there is confusion and a lot of people don't invest simply because they find it overwhelming or don't understand how. Like Jordan, you may be familiar with infographics on Instagram or have the occasional entrepreneur sprouting their get-rich-quick story on your TikTok For You page. The numbers of these influencers across platforms like Instagram, TikTok and Reddit are growing and it's an area that our national regulator, ASIC, is looking into. Bright, simple and animated, these online communities claiming to produce self-made millionaires are a glamorous bunch, drawing you into the utopia they've cultivated with promises of financial freedom. Angel Zhang from RMIT explained to us some of the key characteristics that make a Finfluencer. First, I would say that they're really good at explaining complicated finance concepts in simple terms. So I need to give them some credits here. So they tend to use some short videos with real life examples. And they love to talk about the trending investments such as crypto, finite stocks, all these market darlings. And many of them tend to love the idea of talking about how they can get rich quickly. And they love to share their success stories. And there will be some inspirational quotes. As we discussed in our last episode, a lot of these influencers also promote affiliate links, 
which is something our financial counsellor Chanel takes issue with. Angel pointed out this is a key element of the grey area that Finfluencers operate in, given that there are rules around giving advice in the finance profession. That is exactly the grey area that ASLI is also looking into, according to my understanding from ASLI's website. For a licensed financial advisor, they will need to disclose the commission they receive if they recommend any financial products. In terms of influencers, it's hard to tell whether they receive commissions. Some of them do disclose that, but it's hard to tell how much commission they receive and whether they, they have used the product themselves. They're someone that you don't know. It's really hard to tell. That is why you always be very when they recommend something specific. In November 2021, Asset Commissioner Kathy Armour issued a media release warning companies looking to collaborate with Finfluencers for this very reason. This release outlined ASIC's concerns around potential conflict of interest and market misconduct. It said that if a Finfluencer chooses not to have an Australian Financial Services Licence, which is known as an AFS, and is found to be running a financial services business or acting as an authorised representative, then they may be breaking the law. Similarly, if a company is engaging with a Finfluencer who breaches the law by providing unlicensed financial advice, it may also be breaking the law. So ASIC is aware of this growing space and its murkiness. We asked ASIC senior manager in the area of retail complex products and investor protection, Summer Taylor, how they've been keeping up. We are undertaking a review of Finfluencers. So we've seen a real rise of Finfluencers since the onset of COVID. So we're engaging with them to understand their business models, how they're considering the application of the licensing framework in the Corporations Act looking at our regulatory guidance in this space, so RG36 on financial product and and advice and dealing. And we're also engaging with the AFSL licensees who pay for influencers to promote their products on social media. Broke girl wealth because I used to be broke. Now I'm on the journey to wealth. And I think it's one that I want more people to come along. I also spoke to Alex Nikolic, who is known on Instagram as at broke girl wealth. She's a 26-year-old lawyer with an impressive 14,000 followers. In creating her finance page, she recognised this grey area and reached out to ASIC for help. Actually, they were no help at all. I do feel that the regulator can offer clarity on the guidelines because at the moment they are incredibly difficult and having tried to contact ASIC myself, they basically said, go get legal advice. Unfortunately, there is a real lack of case law about sort of influencing in this segment in courts. So moving forward, would you like to see ASIC having an open dialogue with you and other Finfluencers about where the space can go from here? Yeah, I think regulators sometimes take the view that proactive engagement is a bit of a conflict and that they prefer to kind of wait and see and then make a decision or prosecute behaviour that they think crosses the line. But the problem with that is that I think it would be a real shame to see people talking about money, honestly, people sharing how much they earn and all that kind of information and not gatekeeping how to become wealthy disappear. This is a sentiment shared by many like Alex in the online finance space who describe their posts as promoting financial literacy and sharing their own stories rather than giving advice. Put another way, they don't see themselves as handing out advice even though Alex does get paid through affiliates and ads alongside her main form of income as a lawyer. An important distinction for Alex is that most of what she endorses are platforms for crypto exchange or share trading, rather than pushing specific products like stocks or coins. During the time that we were researching this podcast, an article was published by the Australian Financial Review on this exact topic. 
The article was titled Finfluencers, BNPL, that stands for Buy Now, Pay Later, Ads Are More Dangerous Than Us. In it, a Finfluencer known as Tash Invests, Natasha Etchman, was quoted saying that the concerns around social media finance commentary were overblown, given financial firms were able to freely promote their products in paid advertising and marketing campaigns. This did not sit well with our financial counsellor, Chanel. Tell me a bit about what you didn't agree with here. Look, I'm not advocating for financial firms or advisors here, but a bunch of legislation came into effect as a result of the Financial Services Royal Commission in 2019, which investigated misconduct across these industries, including banking and superannuation. As part of this, there was a sector overhaul as it was found that there were many financial advisors who did not have their clients' best interests in mind. Oh yeah, some shocking evidence came out of the Royal Commissions, and it made them have to change legislation, right? Yes, that is why part of the legislation introduced is that financial advisors must disclose any commissions based on products they recommend. Some types of commissions are capped, and some were even banned. Along with that, there were tighter controls and transparency around misconduct, compliance, and risk. So you can see how things spiral out of control if there aren't enough practices in place to protect people. Exactly. Now, trying to shift the narrative away to highlight that buy now, pay later ads are worse than us lacks a critical reflection and engagement on the evolving unregulated landscape that influencers are a part of. I do acknowledge that some say they welcome regulation and I support anyone contributing to financial literacy education and sharing their authentic experiences with money. On the flip side, any socially responsible driven business, because influencers are essentially businesses, and any socially responsible business should consider how they are balancing positive impact over bottom line. So it is warranted that ASIC are looking at this space so closely. If there is no oversight, then we could have a Royal Commission 2.0. While ASIC are still grappling with where and how to step in with Finfluencers, the conversation about how we should consider Finfluencers as consumers has been around for a while now. There was a lot of discussion in early 2021 around this, with Financial Services and the Digital Economy Minister, Jane Hume, brushing it off as personal advice. She declined an interview request for this podcast, but in other media, the minister compared Finfluencers and their content to getting stock tips from your taxi driver or a bloke in the pub telling you about his investments. Angel disagrees with this comparison. In my opinion, they're not really the same because influencers can talk about financial advice much louder and they reach a larger audience that may not have the financial literacy to determine whether this is dodgy or sensible information. So for the population without financial literacy, they will be vulnerable to dodgy advice online. In July of 2021, TikTok updated their guidelines to prohibit promotion of financial services and products. Do you think that if the regulators don't begin to step in, it is the role of social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram to enforce their own form of regulation in this space? And is it strange that these social platforms seem to care more about this regulation than the government at the moment? In terms of the platforms themselves, yeah, it would be great for them to encourage the influencers to at least disclose if they have any affiliated links or vested interest in the investment product that they recommend. It is also about freedom of speech. So in terms of regulations, I would say that a good starting point would be for the governing bodies to update their regulatory guidance. For example, our neighbour, New Zealand, 
their financial market authority, their ASIC, has actually recently provided updated regulatory guidance in terms of what influencers can do and cannot do. So yeah, that would be a good starting point for the governing bodies to do so. So while the regulator is still trying to understand the distinction between people giving financial advice online or promoting financial literacy, I asked Alex about what role ASIC should play in the far more damaging area of pump and dump schemes. There are pretty flagrant examples of people who are doing the wrong thing. Let's say they're buying a particular cryptocurrency, talking about it lots and lots and lots on their social media, hyping up the price and then selling it and basically leaving everyone else holding a worthless asset in some cases. So I see the regulator as having more of a role there in people who are really maliciously looking to make a quick buck, essentially. That example Alex used about hyping up the price and then selling, that's known as a pump and dump scheme. And Summer says it is something ASIC is looking into. We're looking at where there's correlations between material on social media and significant price movements, for example, that would be indicative of pump and dump activity. We're also engaging with social media companies and forum moderators to understand more about their role and practices and set standards to drive behavioural change. And if the promoter is successful in getting the price up, they sell out or dump their shares. They take a profit and other shareholders may suffer as the share price collapses as the promoter is no longer trying to pump that price up. This is what happened in the case of GameStop in January 2021. A single share of GameStop stock increased by 1,500%, one of the largest ever, because of amateur investors hyping it up on a subreddit known as Wall Street Bets. Tonight, what if a few hundred bucks could earn you thousands in profits almost overnight? Well, that's exactly what happened to some savvy investors who bet big on the once dying video game retailer, GameStop. Plus, pump and dump activity can breach the Corporations Act, which is the same act referenced in ASIC's media release I mentioned earlier. Summer explains the consequences of this. We need to bear in mind this is illegal market manipulation and it can attract a fine of over a million dollars and up to 15 years imprisonment. So it's really serious. ASIC takes breaches of market manipulation provisions very seriously. The risk in addition to market integrity is that for retail investors, if you have bought just before the promoter sells out, you can lose an awful lot of money very, very quickly. And you might also run the risk of being caught up in that illegal activity. So we're asking that people protect themselves don't believe the hype and don't get caught up in this illegal activity. So please do your research, look at company fundamentals to see if price rises are justified before you invest your money. It's not unlikely you'll find financial advisors, ex-accountants and the like thriving in the Finfluencer digital space alongside the average person. Often you'll find their bios boasting about their achievements, credentials and net worth, letting you know they're not your average influencer. Given that these influencers rely on their own anecdotal evidence to support a lot of the topics they cover, it makes sense that they'd want to be transparent about their own money habits. When speaking to Alex, she says she wouldn't call herself a finfluencer. In terms of being a finfluencer, do you... Oh, I hate that term. <laughs> yeah. I hate that term so much. So you wouldn't describe yourself as a finfluencer? Absolutely not. No. I like educator. Okay. I don't want to influence you. Well, if I can influence you to do slightly improve your financial situation, then what a win. What a privilege for me. But yeah, I don't like that term. It's horrible. Isn't it just horrible? I don't know. <laughs> it's just like it puts me in the same camp as Kim Kardashian and her like sugar bear lollies and stuff. And it's just like awful. <laughs> <laughs> 
While Alex isn't Kim Kardashian, pushing cosmetics or what we see as more trivial products, she is endorsing finance platforms and talking about specific products. They're both making money out of your social media habits. Another difference between influencers and finfluencers is that the Kardashians aren't directly disclosing their net worth, even though a lot of Kim's appeal comes from being loaded. So to lend themselves credibility, a lot of these finfluencers are regularly sharing their net worth. To know Alex's, I just have to check her Instagram bio, which claims a net worth of $160,000. I asked her what the value of sharing this with her followers is. I think there's an attraction to those big numbers. I think that's just human nature. We like flashy things. I share my net worth because I think money should be wholly transparent. I don't like the idea that people gatekeep how to become wealthy. Also, I think there's an education piece in that sometimes my net worth will stay the same. I've done posts about that. Sometimes it will go backwards. Given I have quite a heavy exposure to the stock market, of course, there's going to be some volatility there. The trouble comes when this is seen as so aspirational that their followers may make the same choices they do, not necessarily with the same results, and despite everyone's financial circumstances being different. I certainly don't advocate anyone pick what I pick because you won't get the same results. And certainly I think people smarter than me could probably achieve more than I have, which is great. And that's what I want. I initially followed Alex and a bunch of other influencers on Instagram when researching this podcast. And I do think that Alex's net worth updates are realistic in that she discloses her hex, her mortgage, and I can see the transparency she talks about striving for with her followers. But there's one particular case of a net worth update that stood out to Chanel as a red flag. I make $10,000 per month as a full-time content creator. My boyfriend and I were able to quit our jobs a few months ago. These are our income streams. There's a particular Finfluencer who has been sharing their journey to a net worth of $500,000 and beyond on Instagram and TikTok. One of the contributors to her net worth is that she's borrowing against her mortgage, going into more debt to make investments. She made a post about this in May 2021, explaining how she does it to her followers. It's worth noting that this particular Instagram post from May 2021 was a carousel grid post with four slides, with the fourth and final slide showing a disclaimer that acknowledged that this was not a recommendation or financial advice, and further acknowledged that while it may work for them, it may not work for everyone, and encouraging their followers to chat with a financial advisor or mortgage broker. So in that sense... They have done the right thing in flagging that this is not necessarily an endorsement, whereas it is just sharing one of the things that they do. We did invite this Finfluencer onto the podcast and sent through some detailed questions about being a Finfluencer and this particular example in which they leverage their mortgage to invest. They declined an interview and did not respond to detailed questions from the Leverage podcast by the time of publication. This is still a relevant example to include as it's indicative of some of the riskier behaviours that you may see on social media that works for some but may not necessarily work for you. Borrowing against a mortgage or taking on any type of debt to buy stocks is high risk. It runs red flags for me when this is promoted in a way especially to young people who may not understand stock volatility and can already experience being locked out of the property market. And depending on your financial position, there is no reason to risk something that you need for something that you may not necessarily need. I checked in with Angel Zhang about her risk assessment in making stock market investments using debt. 
whoever promote the idea of borrowing money to buy shares or even to buy crypto, that would be a very dangerous idea because that really depends on your risk profile. Different investors have different risk profiles. You have different liquidity constraints. You have different tax positions. If you leverage to invest, that is a very high risk position. So anyone who is thinking about this idea should think twice. I guess most of the influencers, they disclose their net worth and they promote their success stories because, of course, you wouldn't listen to someone who has lost his or her entire fortune in investment. So they publish their success stories so that they can attract more followers. With all this talk about net worth, I'm really curious to find out mine. Now, I am by no means a comparable candidate to a influencer because I don't invest in stocks or crypto, and what I do have is a small amount of savings and a big-ass hex debt from four years of full-time study. So I'm going to use the Money Smart Net Worth Calculator and check the damage. The moneysmart.gov.au website has a net worth calculator, so you can work out your financial position in just five minutes. So some of the things that it asks is for you to input assets and liabilities. Stuff like your home, mortgage, other properties, personal loans. These are things that I do not have. Um, So super, I've had to look up my fund details. My reported super balance is just under five grand. So let's put that in. Car loan, I don't have that. I own my car. I'm very fortunate to do so. Hex debt. Okay, my hex debt is about 28 grand. It's actually not as bad as I thought it would be, to be honest, after four years of an arts degree. I don't have credit card debt, thank God. Savings. So about 11 grand. Value of businesses, car, boat, caravan, or business loans, not applicable. Alrighty, so it has calculated my total net worth as negative $12,344. So that's actually, I mean, it's not good, (laughs) but it's not as bad as I expected, to be honest. I actually quite pleasantly surprised because I knew with my hex debt that it would have to be in the negatives. And that's something I don't have to pay back just yet. And when I think about my hex debt, I think of it as being an investment for my future because I know I want to work as a journalist and I know that my study has contributed to that. So this isn't that bad, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all about perspective and I think you've got a good mindset on how you approach it as it's an investment for yourself. I know throughout this podcast, you've been saying that you don't invest, but looks like you do (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) with a deficit. Yeah, it's a personal investment. (laughs) So my liability is my hex debt, which is just under 28 grand for total assets valued at about just over 15 and a half grand. Would you say just generally, is that pretty reasonable for someone my age or should I be saving more? (laughs) No, every case is different. Every person is different. There's not one size fits all. You're working towards your future and you're only just starting on your more formal financial journey now having to move into your career and work full time. Well, maybe if I follow some of these Finfluencers advice that's not advice, I can change that. Why would someone share their success secret with you for free? So that's why you always double check, do your due diligence, do your own research before you use any of the products. You can see a clear difference in my net worth and that of these Finfluencers. That divide can be super polarizing, especially when it comes to those of us struggling to even break into the housing market, while others are leveraging their equity to invest. 
Jordan and I spoke about this and how our perception of money has changed since growing up. Like probably my current investment in the future, certainly, I would put that towards a house deposit if that is possible. I remember like being 15, I made like this little map like outlining in 10 years how I'd have five investment properties by the time I was 25 or something ridiculous. Like no way. Like I guess the reality of money is set in now compared to when you're a kid. And life is really expensive in general. I remember like I'm um, drawing when I was a kid on my nana's floor, like in front of the TV and like finding a store you could buy, go and buy a house for five cents so everyone could buy houses. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> oh, if only. This divide in circumstance is a reason that our friend Ali doesn't keep up with Finfluencers online. I don't follow anyone just because I don't. My financial situation is very different to theirs and sometimes I don't think they understand that, especially being a younger uni student. Everyone's lives are different. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned feeling like you're in a different place to these people. So something that these Finfluencers do is that they post their net worth. Like, that's a trend. They're like, calculating my net worth. I'm 26 and I own my own house in Bondi and these are my yeah. investments and this is Where how much I Where do you get that money earn. from, though? Your parents? I feel like that's like a lot of how a lot of these people start, you know, they get some money from their parents who are like really wealthy and they're like, oh yeah, I'm self-made. <laughs> yeah. And they obviously won't disclose that. So like, a lot of people who are 26 still live at home or like they live in like a one-bedroom flat. Like, mm. it doesn't matter where you are. I feel like they shouldn't be posting that stuff online because I feel like it can really have detrimental effects on especially like at the time, like now it's COVID, people were in a different place than they were two years ago. But it's not just the Finfluencers that are guilty of this. We mentioned before that the regulation debate has been picked up on in mainstream media publications, like the Australian Financial Review. But other outlets, such as Yahoo Finance and the Daily Mail, are just as guilty. The following are just some of the questionably long headlines a quick Google search will turn up. Homeowner reveals how he bought a 470k property by himself at 27 by taking advantage of the pandemic's impact on house prices and his top tips for how you can do it too. Finance expert reveals how to get 50% off your dinner bill at hundreds of restaurants any night of the week and there's no catch. Teenager buys her first home aged 19 after saving up for a deposit by working at McDonald's and turning down a place at university for a full-time job and insists her parents didn't give her a cent. How do you feel about when you see that online? I don't really feel a lot of pressure because I know that's not the kind of life that I want to be living. Yeah, I want to own my own home one day. But when I'm 26, it's just unrealistic. Like I know it's not going to happen. It's always a bit, a little bit funny <laughs> that these people are making such a big deal. Obviously, it's fantastic to own your own home, but like publicizing it to other people, being like, oh, this is where you should be at too. This is how you can get there. But it's like, it's not the same for everyone. Some people when they're 26 have a full-time job and have bought their first home. Or some people when they're 26, they're still working in the nightclub and just living their life. Like, like there shouldn't be that pressure to be at a certain point in any stage in your life, especially in a financial position. For Ali, she's not stressed by these dressed-up clickbaiting headlines. But going back to the people at the centre of them and the Finfluencers themselves, what makes their lives look so good that writers for publications like the Daily Mail can't wait to cite them as finance experts? Angel tells us that a marketing qualification or comms background can be an important part of the Finfluencer formula. They specialize in marketing, how to pitch an idea. I think that's why they are able to understand what factors can catch the eyes of the audience. That is how they can retain their target audience. So that definitely helps. So being conscious of this going forward, it's helpful to take a closer look at your favorite Finfluencers. You always need to explore the digital footprint of the influencers. 
you don't assume the fact that this influencer has a large number of followers makes that influencer very credible. Popularity doesn't equal credibility. Always look into their background. Have a look at what they've been posting because sometimes I will find that there will be some contradictory statements of the same influencer. So in March. The influencer is saying X, but in next month, to cater to market trends, the influencers could be saying something else. Throughout this series, there's been an emphasis on looking closely at what you're consuming and always thinking twice. Because why is anyone sharing the secret to success for free? But if you are looking for more info on improving your financial literacy and helping to decode some of the more confusing advice we see online, where should we be going? There are a lot of good resources around. For example. Money Smart, which is established by the Australian government to enhance financial literacy, I would say Investatopia is also a very good and free website where you can get a lot of explanations about different investment product or buzzwords in investing. So these two websites could be very good starting points. Going forward, I would really recommend those government agencies to be more actively engaged in these social media platforms, perhaps to compete with the influencers <laughs> if they want to protect the vulnerable young Australians in investment. So yes, establish their presence in social media channels would help. Chanel, what else can young people do to learn more about becoming genuinely financially empowered, rather than buying into the buzzwords and products that might promise that to them without having their best interests at heart? Well, it's important to first of all consider your relationship with money and your spending habits and behaviors. I definitely echo Angel Zhang's position on doing your own research, not getting sucked into pump and dump or get rich quick schemes, and avoiding comparing yourself to influencers or anyone else's financial position. And when you are working towards financial goals such as money management, saving, and investing, it can take practice and patience to figure out what works for you. Have backup funds and have backup plans, and give yourself space to learn without impulsiveness. I think that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much for following along with us, and I hope you got something out of this that you'll bear in mind next time your social media algorithms bombard you with promises of financial freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Leveraged. Leveraged is brought to you by the University of South Australia Student Association. If you like this episode, rate us and write us a review. You can engage with us on Instagram at Usasa Adelaide. This episode was researched by Helen Karakulak and Chanel McAuliffe. We were assisted by Cassie Taylor and Michelle Wakeem. It was mixed and edited by Shay Mosh of Podcast Services Australia. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Ghana people, and we pay our respects to elders, past and present. We also acknowledge the country that you are listening from and its connection with traditional custodians. 